Welcome back to Sashimi. In this episode, I spoke with Barb Hyman, founder and CEO of Sapia, a provider of inclusive mobile-based interviewing tools and intuitive data-driven candidate assessments to enterprise clients. We discussed Sapia's unique product, the role of artificial intelligence in unbiased hiring, the Sapia's dataset based on a billion words and two million candidate profiles, the initial dataset that Sapia utilized, its first client, go-to-market strategy, and many other things. But first, let me tell you about the sponsor of this season, Celigo. Celigo is a leading enterprise-wide integration platform as a service for mid-market companies. Named G2, best software for 2021, Celigo enables breakaway growth, controlled cost management, and superior customer experiences by ensuring that every process at any level of the organization can be automated in the most optimal way. For more information, visit Celigo.com or just click the link in the description. And now, back to my interview with Barb Hyman. Barb, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Great to be here. Uh, maybe we'll start with a few words about yourself, our listeners. Oh, okay. So I'm a, an immigrant, immigrated from Africa to Australia, and that was really formative for me. And I think it's also been quite formative for our company and culture. We have a lot of immigrants in our team, and I think we would all acknowledge we've got quite an immigrant culture. We can talk a bit about that later. And I was one of those people who didn't really know what to do when I grew up, did law, then went and did an MBA, moved into management consulting and found myself wanting to really be at the front end of business and figure out strategy and execute on strategy. So I've I've had about five careers so far. This one has been the most fun. This business was founded 2018 and it comes off the back of my own experience as a CHRO of all the problems that our technology solves for bias, inefficiency, you know, the, the lack of humanity. So it has been an incredible journey. And, you know, I'm also a mum with three kids. Oh, congrats. So that uh, sounds like fun. Tell us a little bit about Sapia. Why did you start it? What yeah. led you to that? And uh, what is the actual product? So the product is automation via smart chat that is able to identify whether someone has the right soft skills and communication skills to be great in the job. But the way it does it is what makes it really unique, which is it's only five questions. There are questions that are like interview questions. It's a structured interview that we've scaled through chat. It is an untimed experience, which means it's very safe for people who might struggle with time pressure you know, from a lot of other tools. And it's blind. So for people who genuinely want to impact on diversity, if you're really trying to grow that right at the top of the funnel, you frankly have to take the humans out of that process and use AI to achieve that. The other piece about it that makes it very human friendly is that, you know, we've designed this to create an experience for both the employer who's paying us as well as the participant who's going through it. So every candidate who has a smart chat with Fi, our bot, learns from it. They receive personalized feedback and coaching within 10 minutes, which is completely transformative for them. And that is what makes it so loved by consumer organizations because they know that every person who wants a job there is usually someone who will also shop there. And how do you make sure that you give them, you know, dignity and a great experience if you're, you know, running a recruitment process? So you sell it both to consumers who are interviewing and to the companies who interview? No, the company pays us, but a key feature of our product, which is unique in market, is the candidate experience, the consumer experience. Um, Most companies don't think about the human that's at the other end. And, you know, we're in a market now where supply of talent is really scarce and that's not going to go away. 
and you have to make it simple and easy for people and fair. That's what our technology delivers that no other product does in market. So you said just five questions. How can you assess someone's EQ just asking them five questions and watching them type back? Yeah, it's innovation is my short, cheeky answer. So this is based on a proprietary data set that we've captured through the journey. It's now almost a billion words, and it's based on our own algorithms that we've built, leveraging the power of natural language processing. We've also just applied BERT, which is an open source algorithm from Google, and adapted that with 330 million words in our data set to improve the accuracy with which we understand context, which is really important. There is a whole series of research papers, as you know, that we've published to make transparent our science. This is effectively new science. It wasn't something, and it isn't something that you can build in six months. You know, we've had to test and learn and experiment with questions, with algorithms. And, you know, we're at the point now where we've really got so much of an advantage over anyone else who tries to do that by virtue of the data and the algorithms. I think, you know, we're, we're sort of in a, a category of our own smart chat. So I obviously have an accent. My English grammar is not the best thing you could think. I, I'm an immigrant. Does it mean if I were chatting using the, that process, I would just fail because, hey, this guy can't even speak? No, no, not at all. It all depends on what the role requires. So we also have some very significant product decisions we made early on to create more explainability around the AI. We don't use machine learning models. We use rule-based models. So for customers, they get to identify what is the profile that I'm looking for for this role. And so they set the weightings attached to features like communication skills, you know, critical thinking, accountability, drive, humility, conscientiousness. These are some of the features that we've been able to extract out of the data set through our R&D. And so if the role doesn't require a high level of English fluency or proficiency, then of course you won't be disadvantaged. If it does, then you won't be selected. Just like, you know, if I applied for a computer science degree and I have to do a maths test and I'm terrible at maths, you know, I, I won't get through. And that's not because I'm female or anything else. It's just because I don't have the qualities for that. So it's all about marrying the requirements of the role in the model so that you are, you know, ensuring you've got fair distribution. Obviously, we also do a lot of testing around the product in use and we make transparent that analysis. You know, it's on our website in terms of our adverse impact testing and the impact that this has on diversity for companies using it is quite incredible very quickly. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into creating ethical AI and it's not just the algorithms, it's the whole ecosystem around it. That sounds interesting, but what I realize is all this charm that I've been developing all these years to compensate for my lack of English is going to be useless. That's basically what it is. Well, because, you know, you shouldn't get an unfair advantage because you're really charming, right? <laughs> um... <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. All right. You mentioned something interesting. The, you said it's not using machine learning. Most of the time when I'm here mainstream, they use AI and machine learning interchangeably. Can you kind of dig a little bit in, into that and explain the difference? Mm. So, you know, there's a misconception in AI that every AI model uses historical data. And if that historical data has an element of bias, you're just, you know, reinforcing or amplifying that. We have machine learning that has extracted features from data that has fed into our algorithms, right? But the way that we build the model is not on 
analyzing your workforce. It is not on, you know, asking people to do a survey, right? Like if you remember the story with Amazon and their challenge around building an, you know, an AI model, AI is basically about pattern recognition. Based on this set of data patterns that we see in people that we've hired who've been successful, can we find those same data patterns in those who apply? And that'll really shortcut for us. But if you've been biased in who you've hired, which they had been, they had mostly men who had gone through, then you end up just reinforcing that bias. And that is what's so flawed about one, using resume data to do anything in the context of AI and two, using your existing workforce. So what we use is a language data set, as I said, that's close to a billion, that's based on 2 million candidates that have gone through it across 47 different countries. And we build a model based on that training data set. So it's generalized to the public. It's not specific to you. And that's how we start, right? We have a set of rules that you decide, inform, or create the model, predictive model. Basically, think of it like design your own baby, Mm -hmm. right? I want my person who comes into this role to be someone who really takes responsibility, who works well with teams, is like a solid communicator. They've got a high degree of self-awareness. You know, everyone has a sense of what they want in their team, in their organization. Then once we get signal data, which is, well, who was hired? And then we also get signal data of who's performed. And in most of the clients we work with, that signal data around performance is, uh, churn is used as a proxy for performance. Because usually if someone's not great in the role, they'll self-select out or you'll exit them. And when you're working at scale, that's a reliable signal in order to build then a machine learning model. So the model can be retrained, you know, with post-high data, like the high data is the first signal, the performance data is the second signal. So our customers evolve to a machine learning model that's bespoke to them, but we don't start with machine learning models because you can't explain them. They're a black box. How did you get this initial data that you utilized to... We did it the hard way. We just had to collect it. You know, we, there's no third-party data at all in our data set. We focused as a business on going for big volume clients because we knew that we needed to accelerate our data mode as fast as possible. And, you know, I remember when we celebrated when we were at a million words and now we're barely, you know, blink when we hit another 100 million. So, you know, we have some really large customers across the globe that have fed that. And, you know, what's really interesting is we obviously do a lot by way of model governance when we release new models in countries we haven't been in, you know, one of our clients, Walt, which is like the Uber Eats of Europe, has just been bought by DoorDash. And they're in the most exotic countries in Eastern Europe, you know, Kazakhstan and Bulgaria and all these <laughs> countries that you we would never think to sell to. And the technology has shown very little, if any, model drift when we're applying it to people in those countries. They're still hiring in English and they're responding in English because our algorithms are in English. You can't apply Google Translate when you're operating at this <laughs> level of complexity in the, in the algos. And, you know, that's a sign of the generalizability of our models. You know, that's where we're at with our data set. So, you know, we couldn't have applied BERT in the first two years, but now we're at the scale where we can apply BERT. And the beauty of working with language data as your data input is that you can apply the inventions of the giants, you know, Facebook, Stanford, Google, their open source algorithms to your own and adapt them so that you improve the quality of what you're able to extract and the accuracy with which you're, you know, assessing people through written language. So it's fair to say that currently every client that uses your software continues contributing new data to Correct. Yeah. So we have we have multiple categories of data 
in our arrangements and what we call de-identified derived data, which is once you've actually removed all the PII, that continues to feed the accuracy of everyone who's engaging with the product. So, you know, there's strong network effects for all of our customers from being attached to that engine, if you like. So is it like in- Tesla. Yeah. Is it integrated somehow in their ERP or whatever, so they can actually yeah. see how the employee is doing? Absolutely. Well, it's definitely integrated to deliver the service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for big companies, they already have a Workday or an Oracle or a Smart yeah. Recruiters and our technology is integrated into most of the big systems so that you're able to, you know, without friction, access the data and the insights. You know, when you go through it as a candidate, you get feedback, but you as the hiring manager gets this really deep profile that is replacing the resume that tells you their strengths and weaknesses. It offers you a personality snapshot. It shows you where they sit relative to the market pool of talent and your candidate pool of talent. And it offers you guidance on what to ask in an interview that's data-driven. So there's incredible power in that for, for hiring managers. But the that's the current stage of where we are in terms of integration. Who's your first client and how did you land that client? Qantas Group. Have you heard of Qantas? Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Qantas has been a client now for years. So Qantas was using another product called Highview, which is probably the main player in this space. And they had, it's an interesting story. They had the they're an amazing company in that the CEO moves people around at the C-suite level. So the person who ran the customer division moved into the HR team and inherited that title. And she came in and said, I'm I'm kind of just horrified at what we're doing here with our candidates. You know, they're all dropping out. They don't like it. It's not doing anything for diversity. Why are we not treating our candidates the same as what we treat our customers? So she took a very customer first lens and she could see that video was not something that people felt safe with. They didn't trust it. They felt like they need to do hair and makeup, you know, and they didn't know what the video was looking for when they were doing that assessment. So they were looking for a solution that was non-video, but that was also very human and could put the person at ease, right? Could really deliver an exceptional human experience. So we really built it out with them as the first client. And, you know, now they've rolled it out across the whole group, Jetstar and Qantas. They use it for you know, ground staff, graduate engineers, cabin crew, obviously customer service, like all roles, bar executive roles. And it's really enabled them to get planes in the air faster because what we've done is we've truncated that process of identifying the right talent from, you know, on average three weeks to sort of a day, which, you know, in the world of airlines and how hard it is to find people and how important it is to move with speed. So you can, you know, think about what it costs when you have to cancel a, a plane route. So it's been really important for the business as well as, you know, really valuable for the recruitment team. So you started with enterprise client, such a big client, which is which is awesome. What was the challenge? I know, probably a crazy idea, hey, to start with enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the main challenges there? So what I would say with enterprise, and, you know, would I do this again? I'm not sure. But, you know, enterprise obviously has very significant requirements around what's going on in the architecture data security and privacy. And we recently replatformed last year. You know, we we've had to invest a lot of engineering resources to build a platform now that has complete data sovereignty. So we partner with AWS. We've removed all third-party processes other than those through AWS, you know, which is really critical for companies who don't want data to leave the country. GDPR has really changed the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. And we think this is a point of you know, difference and an advantage for us that we are truly able to deliver on data sovereignty. 
and that we de-identify all that data, I don't think you could say the same for some of our competitors. So that's what you need to do if you want to operate an enterprise. And you also need to be prepared to go through, you know, security reviews and AI audits. We worked with AI ethicists at our other really large client, Woolworths, and to be transparent through tech manuals and, you know, exposure to, to your bias testing as to how the product works. So, you know, I have a strong view that transparency breeds trust. We created model cards, which is an innovation from Google to be able to show customers exactly what's going into every model and show all the bias testing results. That's what big companies expect. And so, you know, we've massively leveled up over the last few years on that. On the other hand, having such a big client is a perfect reference, right? It helps you to yeah, lend new yeah, clients. Yeah, I, th I think people are a bit scared about AI. And, you know, I think everyone just assumes that it's all going to be like the Amazon experiment which was an experiment, by the way, they didn't actually roll that out. And so it's an education process. And so when a really respected business, you know, uses your technology year after year, it gives everyone else comfort that they can trust it. So it, it definitely helps. I'm curious how the product is priced. Is it per seat? Is it per module? Is it yeah. some other way? Yeah, it's too cheap. <laughs> we need to... <laughs> We should be charging more. So we charge based on hires, you know, so we're out aligned to the outcomes for the organization. We don't think that because you're Woolworths and you get a million applicants a year, you should pay more for our product, right? And we want applicants to do it, one, because the data is really valuable, but two, it's an incredible experience and that flows through to the brand. So we think, you know, put it right at the top of the process, get, you know, interview the world with SAPI is what we say. Why not go out and interview a million people? The technology is doing it for you. And you get the best chances of improving quality and diversity of talent. And then we charge based on your highs. So that's the model that we use. And there is no fixed fee, anything, just no. volume? Just volume based, yeah. Typically, it's a year in advance. You know, there's an estimate about what that, those volumes are. And, you know, most of our contracts are multi-year because it's really a partnership. When you think about the, the value of the data that helps retrain models and improve accuracy, you know, that creates its own sort of network effect with value to customers. If there is no minimums and there is no fixed fee, what does the contract give you? What do you mean? Typically, I would think that contract gives you the right to charge the company every year. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the contract is a fixed price, right? So we sit down and we say, you know, tell me how many hires are you doing this year? Mm -hmm. to expect to do, what kind of role families are they? We use our pricing model to define what that price is. And that is in the contract and that's what you pay up front. So um, if you expect to hire a thousand, the pricing is based on that and it's a fixed fee. You know, gotcha. sometimes it might be fixed for multi-year or we might, you know, win you on an annual basis and, and try and get some CPI in there. And I guess you can go up and down depending on what you project for next year. Yeah, that's right. Well, but usually they tend to hire less. You know, there's no recovery. Mm -hmm, yeah. um, and if they hire more, then there's a top up at the end of the year. But we find that pricing obviously gives us certainty from a you know capital perspective and a cash flow perspective. And uh, the other area in which we're starting to also price separately is, is insights as a service. So what we learn from you engaging with the chat is really powerful information about you and what you might be great at in the organization. And companies are really struggling to know, how do I identify who my potential leaders are, who my agile coaches are? You know, they're firing people, hiring people, because they have no idea what talent's sitting beneath them. So many companies use different dashboards within their workdays or oracles, and we have incredible rich 
data that uh, gives profiles about people that doesn't sit in a CV. A CV doesn't tell you anything about you, right? It doesn't really tell me what you're capable of. It just identifies your, your qualifications. So we're now looking at pricing that insights as an API that feeds all of the talent profiles in ways that are kind of fungible to the company to use as they wish across their talent management processes. So I missed, I probably missed it. So how do you learn this about people that they didn't re even reveal on the interview or CVs? So, yeah. so the, if you think about like, okay, I'm looking for someone who's, you know, let's say my startup, you know, I know that the people that are going to thrive in a startup, are they need to be really confident, need to have incredible drive, need to be pretty good critical thinkers, high humility, because we're going to mess up a lot. How do I find that? How will you identify that in a, in a resume? I have no idea. I don't even know yeah. what to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's exactly the problem. So that's what we discover through the chat, right? We're able to discover personality traits, behavioral competencies and communication skills. These are really important qualities that don't sit in the resume. And for some roles, they're the only things that matter, right? If you think about hiring into customer service roles or carer roles, you know, or cabin crew, for instance, or even graduate roles, you know, these are really critical aspects of what matters for someone to be successful in an environment. That is what the technology does in five questions, but it's using structured interviews. So think like Amazon has 14 leadership principles and it takes a huge amount of effort internally for people to be assessed against that. And they're doing it through structured interviews, but they're using humans. They could replace that entirely with our technology and achieve incredible you know, savings in terms of the amount of time they're spending on, on assessing that. They may still have one interview to validate it, but they certainly don't need to have five or six to, to you know, identify that fit. So do you work with each company trying to uh, tailor interviews for them or they can do it themselves, basically clicking some qualities on the, on the screen saying like, well, I want, I want this person to be, I don't know, curious about this type of culture, et cetera? Yeah. So the, we run what's called a DNA workshop for our large clients up front to anchor on what matters to them, you know, which is a big part of the change management process, like getting the head of the, the business unit, you know, to buy into like, why are we doing this? What are we looking for? Because ultimately, you know, it's about what they think success looks like. Um, and it's not at the point where you can, you do it yourself. We have a, it sits within our system and we're doing it, but that's the first step to then making it a true SaaS technology where Anyone can go in and really curate their ideal profile mm -hmm. um, to generate those interview questions and link. You know, that's more like 12, 13 months down the track. That's Not right cool. now. <laughs> that sounds cool. Is it fair to say that most of your clients are enterprise? Yes. Yeah. And it's by design, right? Well, it is definitely because they tend to have bigger problems and therefore mm -hmm. they're prepared to you know, they'll, they'll see the returns really quickly. Um, they have the sophistication to understand AI and, you know, the pain is bigger and therefore the opportunity to fix that pain is, is you know, like a top three issue for a business. I'm trying to move into the go-to-market strategy discussion, but I'm before I do that, can you give me like a ballpark of what's the average contract value is? Yeah, it's, it's over 100,000. Gotcha. Um, there are small ones and then there are really big ones. Got it. So how do you, yeah, what's fine. your go-to go market strategy then given 
the size and your yeah yeah so look we a few different ways we have obviously a sales team very high performing powerful sales team across the globe and then we also work with channels so the recruitment processing outsourcing industry Randstad Manpower you know these are enormous organizations at a global level that love our technology and have embedded it in their tech stack and we we get deals through them where we're not doing any of the selling basically they're doing the selling so we have a couple of customers in the US really significant brands Air Canada and Ericsson that came through that relationship and so you know we're not going to be able to get a meeting with Nike but they are in Nike so they can make that introduction so that is a, a really key part of how we grow marketplaces are also really important so you know workday we get referrals from um, smart recruiters because you remove a lot of the friction when you're integrated in terms of go live and they want to see their customers use great technology to deliver results so you know they generate a lot of leads for us as well got it and then you have your uh, internal leads who are internal sales team who closes this leads or not necessarily well Often there's not much closing to be done. It's go straight to onboarding. And when you're talking about the RPOs, obviously mm-hmm. with the marketplaces, it's a little bit different. You know, we also use, we have an incredible marketing team that has a very, uh, a demand gen engine that's doing really well in terms of leading with content. And that generates some great leads as well. And that's great because when you have someone coming in with intent through that process, you know, the deal cycle tends to be shorter. How stick is this solution? Look, really sticky if I measure our own results. You know, we've got now 13 customers who've been with us. We've got about, you know, 50 customers, 13 that have been with us for two years, nine for three years. And then we've had very substantial growth in the last 12 months. And, you know, we've had at least eight expansions out of that customer base. You know, there's a lot of opportunity to use this beyond just the hiring, as I mentioned before, in, internally for organizations. So we're, you know, we're working with a number of customers on, on that expansion for other roles and for other talent intelligence um, requirements. Quantitatively speaking, may I ask what your net retention is? Yeah, look, it's um, it's over 100%. I'm trying to think of what it is because we've just had some recent expansions. It'd be close to 105. Mm-hmm. Um, we focus more on growth than expansion, but also this is a product where you sometimes you expand really quickly, you know, and other times it, it needs to be in place for a year for them to go, okay, I trust this now. I'm going to use it elsewhere in my organizations. But we've had... Very, very few churns, like a handful of churns. And they've mostly been, one was when we grandfathered a product that we built mm-hmm. during COVID. And I just felt when we replatformed, it wasn't worth rebuilding. So we lost someone through that. And another was an a, an agency that used us, which I think probably we shouldn't have classified as ARR, but we did. It's more of a campaign. <laughs> so, but, you know, certainly in our core segment, which is enterprise, consumer, you know, hiring at scale, we haven't had any churn. How many people you have as of today? Yeah, so it's about 52 people around the globe. We've got about 30% of our team outside of Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portugal, Scotland, London, Chicago, Laguna Beach. Yeah, spread around. How many of them you hired without using the software? No one. Everyone gets hired with the software. Yeah. You know, you should speak to Johnny, our head of engineering, about how important it is to hire the right temperament. Um, in engineering, obviously there's coding tests and so on, but the first interaction anyone has with us in the hiring context is to do the do the assessment. What was the most fascinating thing you found out using this software, like for your personal hires? Did you compare the, I don't know, the answers 
from this uh, software with what, how do you think your choice of a candidate be different if you didn't use this software? Well, I think the key thing is that people can come across very polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People can tell a really good spiel. You know, a lot of people are very good at selling themselves, especially salespeople. And we know through our own analysis for one of our clients that recruiters have a strong bias towards extroverts, Yeah, you know, who can do like team kumbaya and make everyone feel great. Those are not the sellers. The sellers are the introverts. And so, you know, data doesn't lie. And what it does is it it basically counters your bias where you go, oh, I frigging love that person. I'd love to have them around. That'd be fantastic. Because everyone wants to work in a startup. Lots of people want to work in a startup. They have really no idea how hard it is. And looking at the profile, it's like, mm, you're really low on accountability and, you know, low on humility. It's not going to work. So it absolutely has stopped me hiring people that in my past roles where I trust my gut and I believe that good salesmanship, you know, is someone who's charming and, you know, it, it stopped me doing that. So I know I'm going to get the job at your company. So what's the... It, by, the, by the way, the other thing is it helps you see people, talent and people that you wouldn't think about, you know. Yeah. So, for example, like even if I just think of our own organization, we've hired, we've got six or seven people now that have just moved into multiple roles for which there's no way that their resume, you know, would, would have suggested they would go into, right? So when you hire on values, when you hire on, you know, attitude, like that's so powerful because you could go anywhere, right? You could be anything. We've got a girl that came from PwC. And she started out, I can't even remember what she started out as. Now she's like chief of staff, ops, product. She can kind of do anything. So think of all that undiscovered talent that's out there that people won't see because they're stuck to the resume. So you, you mentioned that many people are polished and it's almost hard to make a good judgment. Aren't people polished in typing? Like, isn't it easy, almost easier to communicate via text, especially now? It, it, yeah. Well, I mean, you could use Grammarly and have correct grammar, but you still have to talk to your, you know, it's a behavioral situational judgment question. So if I ask you a question, hey, Asnor, tell me about a time that you lent in to solve a difficult problem. What was the impact? You know, what did you learn from that? Or share a contribution that you've made to a team you've worked on. What was the impact of that? You can't kind of make it up, right? You have to really tell the story. So the technology is reading your responses and identifying whether or not they indicate that you've got the orientation towards working well with the team, you know, the humility to admit mistakes. And you don't know what it's looking for. This is very hard to game. We do track plagiarism, which is low. It's around 3%. So if you go to the internet and you ask Google, oh, what's a good answer to this question? Mm -hmm. We'll identify it and flag it. We track profanity. We track what we call garbage when people respond in, you know, Russian because they're trying to play with the system. So there's a lot of smarts that sits behind it. And the key point of validation is really what are our companies, our customers hiring? If you're an 80 out of 100 and the profile looks strong and they hire you, that tells us that the technology is meeting their needs in terms of qualifying the right people. So a key metric for us of product value and validation is the percentage of people hired from the top of the list because everyone is everyone is assessed, everyone is scored. And that is consistently anywhere from 75%, even to 100% for some customers. And that tells us that the technology is working to deliver the right people because there's still a human in the loop, right? A human is still making that decision at the final gate. We've just saved you all the work of, you know, resume screening and uh, phone screening up until that point. My wild guess is given the complexity of this product, most of your employees are in R&D department. Is it fair? 
We have an R&D department, yeah, called Sapia Labs. So my co-founder heads that up, Booty. He's a, our chief data scientist. Mm-hmm. He came from Culture Amp where we led the data science team and he could see the value of text language, that all the richness and engagement surveys is not on the multi-choice, it's in the verbatim that people leave. And so he has built that team. They're incredible. We've published probably about six papers, presented them at conferences. So we are absolutely advancing the field of, of NLP the ability to understand people through language. So yeah, we we get a good R&D rebate every year from the government as well as a result. That's nice. Yeah. You obviously have also marketing people, right? Is it like, how are you structured from perspective of different departments? Yeah, look, we have a um, product and engineering team and engineering Mm -hmm. is both ML ops and ML engineering as well as, you know, regular engineering and DevOps. And the beauty is our head of engineering joined us as a machine learning engineer and data scientist and then moved in to become the head of engineering. So he has a real insight about the product, which really helps. We have a sales team and we have a marketing team that's here. And then we have a customer success team, which is really important. So they partner really closely with sales to take over once the contract is signed and on board. We have different levels of service for different levels of customer. And it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it works well. Got it. And I'm curious, like in your data-driven organization, how do you, what KPI do you track for each of these departments? It's not so much tracking departments, it's more tracking the product Mm -hmm. um, and customer value. So for every customer, when we go live, we define the success metrics. What are you looking for? So it would be with specific numbers. I'm looking for more than 80% NPS from candidates. I want, you know, less than 20% dropout. Mm. I want to see close to zero bias. I want to see time to hire reduced from three weeks to two days. I want to see churn reduced from 50% to 25% in 12 months. So, you know, very, very specific metrics. And then really the CS team and the whole business manages to those. We also track on metrics around our data mode. So, you know, volumes of words and candidates. And then there are obviously the standard SAS metrics that you look at as well, which is, you know, CAC to LTV and mm-hmm. um, gross margin, which is high because we only really use AWS in the product. So they're not cheap, um, but they're good partners. Yeah. So that, that happens at the more at the, you know, board level and my level, the SAS metrics. And then marketing track their own metrics around you know, what are the lead indicators that drive towards leads? So things like looking like website traffic, what are the conversion rates and people are on our website? You know, what are the MQL to SQL conversion, SQL mm-hmm. to deal? You know, can we see those going up? What are the ACVs for different sources of leads? Yeah. You know, e- each leader is responsible for optimizing their own part, but ultimately we're rolling up into how do we make the most out of the small team and the minimal capital to, you know, drive growth? Speaking of capital, you've raised some capital in the past, right? What led yeah. you to the decision to actually raise capital and what was the process like for you? Look, I think raising capital is just part of being a founder. I don't know how many founders haven't done that, maybe really smart ones that have managed to bootstrap, but that's not us. We've raised around 12 million US up until now. And, you know, capital is about when you get to product market fit, like, well, how are we going to grow? Well, we need to invest in marketing. We were pre-marketing until December. We need to hire some salespeople. And, you know, why would you sit on where you are and not invest when you know you've got to product market fit? So it's really about to enable growth. What's it like? It's it's time consuming. It's interesting. You know, they're all very different. There's not a monolithic, you know, profile of VC. Some get really, really into the product. Others don't really care about the product and they just want to know what your SaaS metrics are. 
you know, I'd say there's a, an, a quite an extraordinary amount of diversity of VCs and approaches out there. You have do to you, find the one that fits with you from a values perspective. I think it's really important. Do you think there is a, another AI idea for you to, cre- to create for VCs to be able to find right uh, companies and vice versa? Well, I actually think, you know, I said this to AWS because we're doing some work with AWS in Australia. We're trying to understand how do we create, you know, an entrepreneurial culture in Australia and how do we invite more people to be entrepreneurs? And I said, well, there's clearly a type, right? All we need to do is get those who are founders of companies to complete this Sapia chat and we'll be able to identify what that that is. And then VCs can use that as a lens when they're making decisions. Is this person the right kind of founder for us to invest in? Because certainly early stage the founder is the, what's, is the most important thing to attracting talent and, and to do it blindly because there is unbelievable preference towards a certain type in VC funding. I think we all know that. So 100%, I think uh, we'd love to offer our technology free to any VC who <laughs> wants to assess for the right temperament, the right drive and tenacity and resilience and all those attributes that are so important. Go for your life. I'll give it to them for free. We've had one of our VCs use it to hire their own people because they wanted to truly remove bias from that process. And that's worked really well. You know, so like investment analysts, I think there's huge opportunity to introduce blind screening for all of those really critical appointments, board positions, C-suite, um, which, you know, humans, it's been, it's not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything controversial here, are, are, are very innately biased. And most of those are unconscious and you, and therefore you can't, no matter of sort of goodwill or a positive intent will remove that bias. As a person who deals with biases, what are your biases? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. What are my biases? My biases are that my children are amazing. <laughs> I definitely don't see my kids with any kind of objectivity. My bias is that I think our product is amazing. I'm in love with the product. And, you know, it's hard for me to give up, right? So, you know, I've probably spent way too much time, you know, that book that was written, He's Just Not That Into You. Have you heard of that? It's made into a movie. I think salespeople, you know, you say to, to, to your friends a lot, like when the guy doesn't call back, like he's just not that into you, just give it up and move on. I find it hard to do that when I'm in a sales process and I just can see the need and their potential impact and I just like can't give up. And I need to listen to that and say, they're just not into us, you know, even if I really think they should be. So I have a bias about our product and the way it can help companies that sometimes others just are not ready for it, you know, or I don't have the right leader on the other end to really drive it forward. So that that's probably been, a you know, something that's cost me a lot of time being, you know, too persistent sometimes. What's your long-term vision for the company? So I think that this smart chat can really change the nature of the way people engage and go through their employment journey. I think uh, the ability to have an always-on chat that's personalized to you, that really understands you, that is something you trust to help you navigate your career is like completely game-changing and that is where we're going. So I would like everyone in the world to have their own personalized AI coach in their back pocket. You know, it shouldn't just be CEOs of Fortune 500 that can afford coaches. Everyone can have their own coach and think about the difference that will make to your confidence, to your growth, to your career, to your life. That's where we want to go. That sounds fascinating. Best of luck to you with that. And thanks very much for being on the podcast. Thank you.